0: A start On demand. On demand.
1: BMO says post-COVID, up to 80% of its staff could be working from home in some sort of a blended concept. What does that mean and is that something you would be interested in? As the Polo Park Redevelopment Plan continues to be debated at City Hall... Questions remain over whether we have the right info and tools to address proposals like this. Winnipeg Harvest distributed more food last month than any month in its history. We'll tell you about the need at food banks. Hal Anderson paid us his weekly visit in studio for the first time in weeks. And you'll hear McNabb's campsite booking nightmare. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, May 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Good morning, Greg. All right, then. (laughs) That's I'm just, here, that, I promise. Nah, let's just continue with it this way. He's gone. <laughs> just right out of the gate. Right out of the yeah. gate. Big, deep breath, and then he's gone. So, okay, let's try that again. Good morning, Greg.
0: Good morning, Brett and Gary.
1: What the hell happened?
0: I don't know. I've got this little glitchy thing going on about three, four times an hour. You guys cut out for about three quarters of a second, and I've usually got it figured out when those things happen. I do certainly didn't catch this one this morning so
1: <laughs> all right good morning to you loren good morning how are we all
2: doing today it's we're halfway there
1: i was kind of sad actually yesterday because you sent a, a message saying that Bimo says that 80 percent of staff could be working from home in some sort of a blended concept after this is all said and done so my immediate thought was Does that mean you guys aren't coming back to work?
2: Yeah, that was my hint for you. Hint, hint. (laughs) A large bank is doing it with as many as 36,000 employees. What about the rest of us? But no, I don't know. We're going to have a chat about this after 6.30, about the concept of working from home. We know there's lots of people who aren't working at all right now, so there's a whole other conversation to be had there. But hopefully when we rebound and the economy rebounds, uh, there'll be jobs for many of us. And the question is, what will that look like? Like, will I have the choice to not be putting on the clothes that I'm not currently putting on right now.
1: Yeah, like lack a, of how a do you go back explanation. To, how do you go? Like, are you going to be able to go back to not wearing pajamas? No.
2: So I'm just going to come to work like that and you guys are going to have to deal with it.
1: <laughs> Matt, now Macklin, you're, you're con- are you still getting up and getting dressed like you're going to work?
0: For the most part. Yes. Although I have switched to shorts. I started wearing shorts last Wednesday. Every day just for fun because I can. But other than that, yes, I'm doing everything the same, trying to keep my routine almost exactly the same just about 40 minutes later. And we were talking about the things that we don't miss earlier this week. I got to tell you, for as short a drive as I have versus some people that I know, about 30 minutes uh, each way in the morning and then in the afternoon, I am loving the extra hour of time that working from home is giving me. It is such a gift. And uh, my road rage, uh, completely non-existent, except when I'm driving. And I found out yesterday it's still fully intact.
1: <laughs> well, and that, I mean, that is a good point, too. I, I have had less road rage, but that's just because there are fewer vehicles on the road. Like, I've, uh, even when tra- like traffic has increased a little bit this week, from what I can tell, but it's still not... What it used to be. And Granted, I never, I never have to drive in rush hour, but even over the last few weeks, if I have had to drive in rush hour in the afternoon, it's been fine. Like The drive has been good, so the road rage situation is not too bad. So we'll have much to discuss in this at 6.37 and at 9.05. We're going to talk to Barbara Bose from Legacy Bose Group about this potential situation, the potential future of work. In the meantime, Polo Park... Before City Hall, we've got a lot to talk about on that. Who are we talking to, Loren, at uh, 707? Well, we're
2: going to have a conversation with Gino D'Staggio. He's an urban uh, planner. He's with the Urban Institute at the University of Winnipeg. And so we've been talking about this on and off now, I think for a few months, this proposal for a mixed use residential development to go up in that vacant, ugly, what sometimes feels like a derelict lot uh, behind the huge Polo Park mall. And so there's a one on one side, you have the developers who want to put up this uh, new complex. And on the other, you have the airport saying, hang on, we don't want anything to go there we're expanding the airport we don't want complaints about runway and noise and then somewhere in the middle of what might happen today greg is the vote might not even happen at all because it feels like both sides are saying do we do we have the information we need
0: Yeah, and so that could be punted to the municipal board, and that's an entity that uh, very few people, I feel, are familiar with, including the three of us. So hopefully Gino Di can tell us a little bit about the municipal board, the road that they play. And the question I have for Gino, guys, is if this proposal is on the table for anywhere else in the city, if it's at St. Vitale Centre or if it's at Kildonan Place, is this not a slam dunk? redevelopment aren't uh city planners and city councillors fawning all over one another going uh how quickly can you build this and what do you need from us
2: good question i i think you know and especially in these times we had we talked about this earlier when it was uh uh, rejected by EPC when they pushed it forward to council, saying, "Yeah, we'll we'll pass it on to council, but we voted against this plan, or the majority did anyway." And we question, you know, in this day and age, when you're looking for dollars to be pumped into your economy and infrastructure dollars and and big spends are a huge part of that, then you think, doesn't it make sense to move forward with something like this? But this is in a whole other, this is in a whole other area of the city that where the airport is the real sticking point here, in the sense of what they want and what they like to see, and then also the future of their development and so there's lots of conversations to be had around this as we continue throughout the day brett
1: mackling mcgarry and mcnab before we get into the polo park business loren mcnab you are in the queue oh
2: Am I, baby? Okay. So I signed on right at seven to the park website. I was given immediate number of ticket number 2656. So right out of the gates, I'm. 2,600 back is my guess. But this blinking blue dot that carries towards my virtual friend in the uh, tan hat is moving along. So it, maybe I will get a campsite today. Who knows? Are you
1: actually trying to book or are you just seeing how long it takes?
2: Well, what I really want is one of those yurts that they offer at like an uh, opening Park or perhaps in the Spirit Hills, the, the, the sand, uh, Desert Sands and Spruce Woods. So we'll see if I get that. Those are super hard to get. Beyond that, I only have a 10th, so don't get mad at me if you're 2,657th in line. If you're right behind me, I might be slowing you down because I'm only in it for those yurts.
1: All right. Well, Godspeed to you, Loretta McNabb. <laughs> Keep us posted if you get that yurt. A vote regarding a proposed massive redevelopment of Polar Park is on schedule at Winnipeg City Council today. If the Winnipeg Airports Authority has its way, though, the issue will not hit the floor at today's council meeting.
0: Yeah, the Winnipeg Airport's authority has asked that a decision on the proposal for multiple residential towers and other amenities be instead decided by the Municipal Board, saying Council doesn't have all the required information to make a decision. For the past two months, Cadillac Fairview... Owners of the Pola Park Mall and its surrounding property, along with local developer Shindico, have seen their proposal for multiple residential towers move from community committee to EPC, and we're anticipating a vote from city councillors today. This feels like an either or proposition as the two sides don't agree on the suitability of the location for tens of millions of dollars in residential development in an established and desirable area of the city. By now, you know the airport's authority sees residential development at the Polar Park location as a threat to the expansion of Winnipeg's thriving airport and its ever-expanding cargo business, Loren.
2: So the ongoing question throughout this, is this a good idea in the first place, or is there perhaps a happy medium that we could find? Gino DeSagio is the Director of the Institute of Urban Studies and VP of Research and Innovation at the University of Winnipeg. Good morning, Gino we're We're curious if this was a proposal in any other part of the city, if it wasn't near the airport, if it wasn't Polo Park, if it was St. Vital or Transcona or somewhere else, would this be a slam dunk for approval in your mind?
3: Well, you think with the scale of investment that's pending that absolutely would be a slam dunk. This is the challenge though, when you come up against uh, land use conflicts and uh, zoning conflicts and bylaws. It's, it's really about how does this fit that area and do we have the right uh, levers in place to make the, the decision uh, either or, right, whether we go for it or
0: not. Gino, it's been frustrating, uh, at least for me personally, because you, you see the, the Kiltartan Twin Towers on Route 90. You see the towers of Polo Park and all the apartment uh, buildings on Queen Street right to the west of Route 90. And the airplanes fly right over, uh, you know, majority of those buildings right now on their approach to Winnipeg Airport. We're talking about eight, nine hundred meters that Polo Park was. 800 or 900 meters to the to the east this wouldn't even be in 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 question because of where where it sits the airport vicinity protection protection area pardon me secondary plan is what dictates areas 1 and 2 this sits in area 2 it's 25 years old why don't they simply review or even redo that plan
3: Well, and and this is it, right? You know, the the airport itself has their own master plan for moving forward with expansion, and obviously that leverages their position as a 24-hour airport. So I think what's happening here is we're hitting a threshold in Winnipeg where development is coming fast and furious and that we're seeing conflicts that we wouldn't otherwise have seen in Winnipeg 10, 15, 20 years ago when we were mired in slow growth. So I think for a lot of Winnipeggers, uh, it it is a bit of a pivot here because now we're seeing accelerated action, right? We've got all these projects and plans, and for this one in particular, there's the controversy over whether or not noise levels will be mitigated or worsened because of this development. So you're right, it does point to the need to have more adaptive uh, planning tools to make these kinds of decisions that are fair and unbiased, and that's where we need to land here.
1: The Airports Authority now says it wants a municipal board to review this whole thing. What's the municipal board?
3: Well, the, the, the municipal board is a, is a quasi-board that has uh, representation from a number of different stakeholders throughout the province. And they should hear these matters in an independent uh, fashion. Again, what will be interesting is, is how that ultimately unfolds, right? I, it, it's an interesting play. So I don't know if the airport authority feels they'll get a, a, a stronger voice at the municipal board or whether they felt that the decision pending from council might not go in their way or the developer. So, I mean, the hope is that in any, any body that reviews this, again, they review the facts, they look at the, the, the pluses and minuses and, and make the right decision. Ultimately, though, for that area, it really reflects, do we have the right planning tools in place from zoning and bylaw to deal with these matters before they have to be appealed, right? So if if we can just have better tools to see whether or not we're going to allow development with a little bit of flexibility, um, I think we can adapt ourselves to see development occur quicker in Winnipeg that is needed and development that shouldn't occur that you know it's it's redirected to another part of the city that better reflects that uh, intended land use
2: bottom line is this just another example of you know we talk all the time about red tape getting in the way of moving forward and progress you know and you worry that you're going to be here two years from now still talking about this development do you see this as another example or is it just really specific to this polar park area do you know
3: i think this one is really specific and i think it speaks to some of your points already that We've got an entrenched uh, planning district that does not allow development to support uh, the the needs of the airport. But at the same time, we've got a city that's growing at a pace that we haven't seen in, in decades. So we've got this mismatch right now where we've got to balance this. And again, I always remind people that Winnipeg now is moving into an era where we're not on par with the Calgarys and Edmontons, but we're, we're getting to the point where development is occurring at a pace where we've got to be able to adapt quicker and have the right sets of uh, tools and principles to do it in a, in, a, in a metered manner. But this one here is really, really contested, and uh, you've got two big, you know, do big players here, sort of pitting against each other. And that's what you don't want. You want the decisions to be made on facts, not on who can strong-arm the other or who can push their project through. We want decisions to be fair and open and transparent.
1: Gino DeStasio is the Director of the Institute of Urban Studies and VP of Research and Innovation at the University of Winnipeg, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Gino, thank you for this. Thank you. Looking at Global News Morning right now. They're doing a story on the murder hornets and the results from yesterday's question of the day. This was actually uh, Monday afternoon's question of the day. We carried it through the morning. Which are you more nervous about, reopening Manitoba or murder hornets? And the result finished in a dead heat, 50-50. We put this up on Twitter as well. It's uh, leaning more towards reopening Manitoba there with a couple of people saying, This poll is absurd. This is a stupid poll. Why is this the poll? Uh, Have you seen the murder hornets? They're huge and they can kill you. So, yeah, a lot of people are freaking out over the possibility of these murder hornets coming to Manitoba. So hopefully they find them and burn them with fire. Uh, The question of the day this morning, we've just updated it. Would you report a business if you felt it wasn't complying with provincial safety regulations relating to COVID-19? Yes or no? Cast your vote at cjob.com. We've also thrown that poll up on Twitter at 680CJOB and on the 680CJOB Facebook page. Question of the day, by the way, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, two o four eight three two sixty two forty three. In our next segment, we will find our next qualifier for wishing I was fishing, but we start this half hour with the reality for many Manitobans this morning is that they're waking up, Greg, to bare cupboards and near-empty fridges.
0: Yeah, Brett, and in the last month, the number of people in that scenario has only grown. Thousands of Manitobans have lost their jobs because of COVID-19. And many don't know if they will have a job to go back to as a result. Some have had to, really had no choice but to turn to food banks. And the demand, Loren, is apparently way up.
2: Here are some of the numbers for Winnipeg Harvest in April. So last month it served 4,700 new clients. So they saw an increase in demand, 27% more adults, 28% more children. And if you add it all up, Winnipeg Harvest delivered more food last month than in any other month in their history. Karen Taylor-Hughes is the CEO of Winnipeg Harvest and joins us now. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Lorenz. Uh, what kind of stories are you hearing? I mean, we, we knew this would happen. We knew the demand would go up. But when people are, are coming to you or you're getting those phone calls, what are you hearing? What kind of clients are we talking about?
4: You know, it actually affects everyone. We hear folks that have said they've been donating to Harvest for years on their own, whether it's food or funds, and never felt they would need it and was grateful that we were here. And now they're grateful we're here because they need that support. So they never thought they'd be in a situation. So we see a lot of that. Um we see a lot of students lately who didn't have who had summer jobs or other jobs through the year and that's gone and now they are really struggling. So basically it's every walk of life we're seeing coming to our doors.
1: We've been hearing a lot about seniors in recent days. Are you seeing more older Manitobans at Harvest?
4: Um, You know what? Our senior population is pretty well supported naturally through our food bank organizations. So we have seen a little bit, but very little. I think they've, if they've had the need, they've reached out, and we we have a couple. So we definitely are following up with them. But I think we cover all ages.
0: Karen, I've been to your facility several times and I'm always blown away by the efficiency at how it works and and the way it really looks like a, a warehouse and distribution center for a grocery store chain or or food wholesaler. It's remarkable. How have you had to change how things work in terms of a workflow uh, process and making sure that your volunteers and, and your staff are safe?
4: Well, week two of COVID, we actually locked our doors to all clients and outside folks to come in so we could make sure that folks that were in our building were as safe as possible. We put in extreme measures around hand washing, sanitization, bleaching of stations on a regular basis. So we did all the things, health that the acts have called for and gone above that. And then we've had great support from the City of Winnipeg, with volunteers that have come in to help us. And we've had to totally change how we do things. We used to package and put things in stacks of food and send them to food banks and they create a nice little shopping model that would have choice. We can't do that now with social distancing. So we've set up like assembly line stations that package food that are very consistent hamper type um, package. And that's worked really well for social distancing for packaging, but also on the food bank side because they could easily put these packages on a table. The food banker steps back, the client steps up, takes their food, and leaves. So it's really, really quick and efficient for us, and I'm just proud of our team that we've been able to retool everything so quickly and be effective
2: at doing it. Yeah, and retooling it at a time of great need, you have the demand that's way up, and of course, always the need for f- food. And, you know, we've been hearing about challenges in, within the egg industry this morning, agriculture getting some money from Ottawa, because foreign workers can't come up here and work as they normally would. We know uh, the processing plants can't process meat the way they would because of outbreaks, and so some livestock has no place to go. There's all sorts of different uh, cogs in the wheel right now, and I'm curious what you've heard from different producers or organizations over the past few weeks that might allow you to work together to get some Of that food to the people who might need it most, Karen? Well, people have been
4: great and they've been stepping up. So, last two weeks ago, Manitoba Chicken Producers stepped up and they helped us with some surplus product and then now a regular stream of product coming in on a weekly basis to support Manitoba Eggs. Producers have been the same. Um, dairy have, was always a partner of ours, and they're doing extra now. So I think organizations that have surplus, instead of having to discard it, they're looking at how do we preserve that and use it. Because people that grow or you know or, or get milk. They're proud of their products and they don't want to waste it. So they've been turning to us, which has been fantastic because then we're passing that on to our our clients and they're really appreciative of
1: it. If I want to make a, a donation to Harvest uh, for food supplies, what do you need the most?
4: Um, I would say, you know, it's a tie between food and funds. Lots of communities are stepping up and doing community food drives by sending notes to their neighbours and putting things on doors and picking it up and bringing it in. So that's very helpful. We have our top ten. So for food drives, it's mostly the non-perishables. Most importantly, things like canned protein. So any kind of canned tuna or ham or chicken is really important. Peanut butter is another big one that goes a long way with families. Um, canned vegetables. So those items are great. Food that we're getting for COVID, we're using to help us purchase food because we have to due to the shortage of um, food available in our regular retail grocery chain.
0: Karen, uh, the first time I was there, I realized that uh, baby formula was the only thing that was actually locked up in a separate uh, area. Is that still an area of need for you?
4: Um, We have been fortunate that we had created a fund called our First step Program that people, traditionally that was the only item we ever purchased was baby formula because you can't really get, it's hard to get donated, so we purchased that. So we have been fortunate that that's been very helpful and people traditionally always give us baby formula, so we're happy to receive it and and that's always something that we need for our families.
2: Uh, before we let you go, I'm just curious, you know, the hope in all this is that for so many people, like the couple you mentioned who used to donate to the food bank and are now using the the food bank, the hope is that it's temporary, that we'll see an end to this, that people will get back to work. Uh, what concern do you have that there'll be just a, a a new group of people out there who struggle now and that that the demand will just continue to rise?
4: Well, actually, Lauren, that's actually a really good point. We are actually quite concerned um, we've been fortunate. That there's been lots of federal support and programming in terms of funds that are going out, which I think is sort of helping us stabilize at the moment at about that 27, 28 percent rise. But we know when that funds, those funds really are wear out over like 14 or 16 weeks, we are going to see a dramatic spike in people that will still have no funds, folks who are not working and having things deferred, having to deal with those deferred payments and keep up with the regular ones. We're actually trying to really be smart and prepare. It's horrible to say, but prepare for the worst. I think it's going to be a lot worse before it gets better, and it'll be a long time. It'll take years for this to actually change for us. So we are really um, trying to do the best we can and trying to think on the bright side. But the reality is it's going to be a long road back for many folks.
1: Karen, where do people find you if they want to come help?
4: Um, go right to our, our website, winnipegharvest.org, and there's a place for emergency volunteers. So, we are taking 25 volunteers a day to help us pack hampers, so that's a great opportunity. And there's a health way that you can go through. That's the best place to find us to donate or to learn about a food drive, and also learn about all the people that have been helping us. Manitobans have just stepped up and done amazing things for us, so we're really proud that people recognize this is a place that we're helping and that they're happy to support us.
1: Karen Taylor-Hughes is the CEO of Winnipeg Harvest, joining us live on CJOB. Karen, thank you for this. Thank you so much. Right now, Lorraine McNabb, who are we talking to for this segment?
2: I believe we are talking to this man I haven't seen, and what is it now? Seven weeks? Eight weeks? Forever? Hal Anderson. Is he in studio?
5: I am. I oh am here in the uh, news booth, safely distanced from uh, Jeff Forche, your producer, and uh, Brett McGarry there in a separate room. I'll tell you what, um, I had equipment issues. It's not bad for you guys because you've got three of you, right? So if, if one of you goes off air with this you know, technology <laughs> we're using, it's not bad. <laughs> Poor Cam yesterday. Cam Poitras, my producer... Halfway through the show, I'm done. Oh, God. And it just happened to hit at a portion of the show where I had planned on talking to Cam and, you know, rehashing some stuff, and there were no guests. So poor Cam had to tread water for about 45 minutes as I work with Mike the Engineer, one of our engineers, (laughs) off air, trying to get back on air. And so, yes, I'm at the station today. I had to bring in some equipment, and I may do my show from here today depending on... What the engineers uh, discover with this uh, piece of equipment that allows me to be on air from my uh, my home studio every day. But uh, I think the count now, Loren, is almost fifty days for me oh. from home. And Greg beat me by a day. I'll have to March eighteenth was my first day from home. I'd have to do the oh. math. Isn't that crazy?
2: That is crazy. I I was just thinking that as I said we're about to hear, thinking we're going to hear from you, and I thought when have I seen everybody? Yeah. That's nuts.
5: Yeah Now, a, a couple things for you guys to think about, and it's interesting because there were things I enjoyed about today. The commute was not one of them, even though it, the traffic wasn't bad. But it was kind of nice getting my coffee right at the drive-through, you know, I'd missed that. And, <laughs> yep. and it comes on a day, this my trip into the station for the first time in you know, a long time, comes on a day when there's a new survey out about working from home and Greg and Loren are working from home, I've been working from home. They've surveyed people that are working from home and interesting findings. 54% say their productivity has improved. 54% working at home, only 25% say it's been a negative. 25% only say it's a negative. 54% say their productivity has improved. And reasons, no commute, fewer distractions, and Brett, fewer meetings. Oh, <laughs> yes! <laughs>
1: uh, you know, I've, I've heard, and one of our listeners texted us a couple of days ago saying he's had more meetings. Mm. Uh, there, And I've heard some people say that they're having more video meetings throughout the day, which yeah. would drive me insane. What about, how do you feel working from home? Do you feel more productive? <sighs>
5: No, I don't think it's more productive for me. Uh, I feel like my days are longer. I have to do more to get the same done, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There, there are more steps to doing some of the things I have to do on my show. I haven't minded it, to be honest with you, um, and, and it's worked out pretty well. But here's my follow-up question, and I'll, I'll ask you guys and, and weigh in on this. Do you think that when things do get back to something closer to normal— Do you think that people are going to go, whoa, wait, I like working from home, and what issues will that bring up with employers when they say, well, we don't want you working at home, we want you working here, but they're saying, well, you sent me home and I like it now, now I want to keep working from home. What do you think, Loren?
2: You know, I, 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 so many things have gone through my mind about this and, and about what, where I'll be or how I'll feel when the they come, the day comes when they say no, this is the date that you got to be back at work. And for me, part of it, I think you're gonna have a lot of people really wrestling with all sorts of emotions. And for me, I hadn't realized how much I missed seeing my kids in the morning mm-hmm. until I was home again yeah. and so the joy i get just i just now i ran upstairs in the commercial break and my oldest is up and he's on his computer doing some work and a big smile on his face and i didn't i, I it's not until something's gone right that you realize how mm-hmm. much you you want it and so for me there's so much emotion attached to now being able to see them that i, I get teary just thinking about it and, and on the flip side you know there's all sorts of different stresses that come with it and greg we we've debated this back and forth a bunch of times now
0: Well, yeah, and for me, it's the creative process. I don't think I've mentioned this on the air, but Loren and I typically have done an extra two hours of radio by the time we get on the air at six o'clock because we are chit-chatting back and forth uh, from four until six. And Hal, same thing, I miss collaborating with you and bouncing ideas off you. And so that whole idea of the power, the energy of the group sometimes and that brainstorming, it doesn't always work out to a benefit in terms of uh, time spent, but I find in our business and in particular for myself, I I'm really missing that 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 energy that comes from being in a group with uh, other creative people.
1: Yeah,
2: Brett's eye contact.
1: Yeah, in Brett's eye contact. I, I, yeah. I, then, you don't know, notice he said, "Me and Loren, like Greg and Loren, do that have do the extra radio show out there." I just sit there quietly and uh, and I yeah, but you're
5: turn... doing your. But honestly, man, and I and I have done what you do, and I guess to some degree, I do what you're doing now. That is a show in itself, right? What you do is, I mean, you're the glue that holds it all together. That's my opinion, right, Brett? I mean, so you are doing your own thing well, they're maybe focusing a little more on the content, right? But you got to keep it rolling. So yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know what the future is going to bring working from home. Who who knows? And I know we're almost out of time, but I'm going to talk about this more on, on my show this afternoon, whether I end up doing it here at the station or whether I end up back at home doing it. I'll be having a show this afternoon, one to four. Um, we're going to talk about uh, couples and the things that they're doing to drive each other nuts. (laughs) There is some great stuff out there on social media. I've gleaned some of that and will share with you some great stories from uh, men and women, couples uh, that are in a relationship of one form or another. And the person, the other person in that relationship is doing the stupidest, most ridiculous <laughs> little things to make them nuts. So we'll open the phones on that, take text messages and emails this afternoon.
1: That sounds fun. Yeah, I've been lamenting the fact that I'm single during this pandemic. But uh, no, I think it was Don who texted us saying he knows four couples that are now going through separation or yeah. divorce because of the pandemic. Right. Really? So kind of, yeah. So I'm yeah. kind of wondering, maybe I'm better off. I think you are. Cause I would easily. I mean, I in the best of times I end up driving women away, so <laughs> so in the worst of times, I can't imagine. Well, how the great bad thing be.
5: about being in a relationship in a pandemic, Britt, is she can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you gonna go? Yeah. You're stuck. I actually know
2: of someone in that scenario who just before the lockdown they live overseas had. Decided that they were going to split, and then of course, or you can't, they're not looking for an apartment. And in Europe, the rules yep. are so, so much more stricter. Right. So this couple, I'm curious if this will lead to a reconciliation, or just a straight up fight to the. Yeah. I don't even want to say. And, and it, but. some
5: and some people aren't working. They don't have the. If the relationship is failing, right, they don't have the money to go and get another place. Maybe they aren't working. Maybe both people aren't working. It. These are incredibly crazy times in so many ways.
1: Hal Anderson.
5: Oh, I just I just saw a
0: picture of Courtney and Dave Wilson from HGTV. They, a very public split. But I've seen two or three pictures with them, the family, together. So it's got me wondering if the reconciliation is happening for mm. them. So uh, that could be the flip side
1: of this. Oh, interesting. I remember you were saddened by the news that they had split.
0: Well, I was sad and excited at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you mean,
1: you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Mackling McGarry and McNabb, scheduling an outdoor event of any type is a bit of a gamble in this part of the world. At the best of times, Mother Nature does not always play along with our social calendar, Greg.
0: Yeah, last year, the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation held its inaugural Rosé Soiree. The fundraiser was held at the St. Boniface Cathedral outdoors in the shadows of the amazing ruins of the majestic Basilica, which was lost to fire July twenty second, 1968. The site ranks as one of the most beautiful places in Winnipeg from afar or on its grounds. As public gatherings remain against public health rules, the foundation, Lorraine has had to shift gears for this year's event.
2: Yeah so it's going to move to an equally exclusive venue which is your home and here to tell us about Soirian is president and CEO of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation Vince Barletta. Vince always so great to have you on before I get to my first real question my side question was rosé soiree was that for rosé like the drink or just because of the time of the night the sky is a nice rose color?
6: Well we did have a number of rosé wines there it was an absolutely fabulous evening Lauren I know Greg you were there last year it was it's a spectacular night, and uh, we're doing something even more interesting this year.
2: Yeah, it sounds like a brilliant move, a great pivot. Tell us about it.
6: Well, as, as you mentioned, Loren, last year we had the spectacular rosé soiree event at St. Boniface Cathedral. We all know the situation we're in right now. Can't do the big public gatherings, so we said, look, we have to cancel the rosé soiree, but what can we do? Let's have a rosé soiree Inn at the most exclusive venue in Winnipeg, right in your home. And we have fantastic partners lined up, our friends at 529 Wellington, who are going to be bringing you a beautiful three-course meal delivered to your door. Denardi food and wine with excellent wine pairings and tremendous entertainment. This is going to be an incredibly exclusive event, a fine dining and entertaining experience brought right to your door. Most importantly, though, supporting St. Boniface Hospital.
0: Last year's event was such a tremendous success, Vince. Uh, it was a wonderful evening. Seeing the cathedral bathed in pink light and alive with music and people, it was so unique, such an incredible place. I had my wedding pictures taken there, so it's a special location to begin with for me and for so many Winnipegers. This is this is obviously going to be difficult to compete with. Do you, do you, have, you, have you got it in you? Well, you know what? We're already having fantastic response. The ticket
6: sales have been going incredibly well. You know, it is an exclusive event. We only have 300 tickets available. Again, uh, the way it works, it's a $200 ticket. That's going to get you a three-course meal from 529 Wellington with wine pairings from Denardi,
0: food and wine
6: delivered, hot to your door, ready to go. You can be wearing your pajamas. You can wear a tuxedo. You can wear whatever you want to wear. You're in the comfort of your own home. Once you get your meal... You get a special code to tune into an exclusive television show that we are producing to coincide with the event. It's going to be featuring all Canadian entertainment, musicians, uh, magicians, all manner of entertainment, and of course, stories from across St. Boniface Hospital, the incredible patient care and research that's happening there, and of course, the bravery. Uh, of our frontline healthcare workers. We can't thank them enough. It's going to be a fantastic variety show. Again, you can enjoy uh, in the comfort of your own home. We're going to be using some other tools to promote some social interaction as we all continue to uh, self-isolate uh, uh, from one another in the current environment. So for us, we need to make a, make a pivot from our live, uh, live gala event to this new event. We're excited with how it's going to be, and, and we look forward to the community support.
1: You say there will be a code for you to be able to tune in. On what platform will that be?
6: We're going to be using YouTube as that uh, as that platform and creating an exclusive uh, uh, online event, online video event for people to tune into. And it's really simple to get your tickets. By the way, the event is May 28th, uh, so it's coming up in the next few weeks. And that program is going to begin at 7 p.m. on May 28th. Food delivery is taking place between 6 o'clock and six thirty, and it's going to be a fantastic program. We're so excited about it, and uh, really pleased to be the first in Winnipeg to be offering an event uh, of this type, supporting St. Boniface Hospital.
2: You know, Vince, there might be some that would argue, "Oh, wow, this will be really hard to turn around when you have such a comparison to an event like last year's with the location and all the rest." But you're also hitting up, you're coming up upon a time where many Winnipegers and Manitobans who can afford to give back want to, and you know, looking for something a little bit different to do from the home. So the combination of that really might lead, like you say, to a really good outpouring of support.
6: Well, so far, it's been a tremendous outpouring of support. Ticket sales are very good. We're going to have a sellout event again this year. And you know what? We just have to thank Manitobans so much already for all the support that they've given to St. Boniface Hospital, our new COVID-19 response fund. Uh, We've now raised over $200,000 supporting a variety of projects all over the hospital related to our COVID-19 response at the same time as we support all the other programs that Manitobans rely on. Our cardiac care department, our woman and child, NICU, palliative care and the incredible research that happens there. So uh, Manitobans have been there to support St. Boniface hospital for many many years. I know they're going to be here to support us again and support the Rose Soirin. It's really easy to get your tickets as well. I got to let you know that also easy to do. You can go online to our website, stbhf.ca, to get your tickets online, or give us a call, 204-237-2067,
0: to get those tickets by phone.
1: Greg, I feel like you need to be the one who does the formal goodbye here.
0: Okay, well, Vince, always great to talk to you. Uh, Outstanding move by the folks at the Foundation, Vince. uh, Give my love to everybody there, okay?
1: Thanks so much, Greg. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. The question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. And the question is... Would you report a business if you felt it wasn't complying with provincial safety regulations relating to COVID-19? So far, the results at CJOB.com, 61% say no, 39% say yes. A similar result on Twitter, at 680CJOB, but in the opposite direction. Pardon me, similar numbers, but 65% say yes and 35% say no. We've also thrown that poll up on Facebook. I haven't checked the results there. Also wanted to just say hey to Tyson who j- jumped to our defense regarding the the question uh, that we carried over from Monday afternoon from Rich and Julie, which was which are you more nervous about Manitoba reopening or murder hornets? And uh, one listener weighing in saying this is a st- this poll is absurd. This isn't from a news organization. This is just. Uh, clickbait, and Tyson said, hey, sometimes we like to have fun. Uh, so he kind of spoke for us, but I, seriously, like, the Murder Hornet thing really does give me genuine anxiety. So, thanks for all the feedback that we get here at 204-780-6868, on email, Mackling at cjob.com, McGarry, or Brett at com, McNab at com, and on all of our social media platforms, and of course, we invite you to follow us on Instagram if you haven't done so yet. We continue... The start with me in studio, Forte in Master Control, Greg Mackling, Lorraine McNabb, both working from home. And Lorraine, based on what you were telling Hal, it sounds like you might want to stay there.
2: Every day is so different. But yeah, there are some days for sure that I think that I could make this work. I think think right now I would have to change a bit of my routine, like, you know, put on some Work clothes in the morning as opposed to the sweats I wore to bed last night, just to make it a little bit more official. But there's so many benefits about being at home, which is why the headline we shared with you at 637 caught my eye last night. Just after 630, we were telling you about this headline from the National Post that read, the Bank of Montreal says 80% of its employees may switch to blended home office work. And the bank said that it anticipates as many as 36,000 of its staff could adopt new flexible arrangements after the COVID 19 pandemic subsides, Greg?
0: Yeah, 36,000 is, of course, on the high end. It could be much lower than that. But bottom line, they're saying that they've realized they don't need to have everyone at the office all of the time. Barbara Bose of Bose Legacy Group joins us now. Good morning, Barbara. Hey, good morning. Great to hear your voice. Thanks for making some uh, time for us. The estimate from BMO, 30 to 80% of of its staff. 80% obviously would be a huge number to have stay-at-home or stay-at-home for work a a few days of the week. Uh, What do you think about that?
7: Well, right now in the article, they also mentioned that 95% of their workers, particularly from the towers, the big office spots are working at home. I can even tell you that our staff, 25 staff, we were able to put them out uh, working at home with absolutely no trouble, and they're still there, and we're having no trouble. So I think that uh, people really are going to be looking at whether this is feasible or not. But you know what? It's not new. I think I was trying to check before I got on the phone here about 20, 25 years ago, the large consulting companies were experimenting with something called hoteling where the, their individual workers were working out at client locations, so they weren't in the office anyway. And so they created workspaces where you have to book in the day that you wanted to come into the office, you have to book in. So the concept's been around for a long time, but kind of didn't take hold. And I think with the crisis, with the um, COVID crisis, everybody's found out it's a heck of a lot easier to work at home now because of the technology. So, hey, Maybe we should be looking at whether or not we need everybody back at work. So, yeah, I think it's going to happen. And I think it's also something that small organizations who had never thought of it before are really going to take it seriously.
1: You mentioned that a number of your staff are working at home. You got them set up, no problem. But how's it gone? Like, has it gone okay?
7: Well, uh, we've been keeping with um, a telephone call every day just to check in on everybody. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I did a little survey of People on my own staff, but also in other organizations, I just basically screen ten people and say, "How are you doing and The biggest issue for all of the employees was isolation and and they get tired of the zoom calls they want to see somebody face to face they want to have a a real conversation uh, with a real person if you want to put it that way so the isolation was was really the biggest issue the other thing is you know not everybody is suited to work at home so we you know we do find uh... employees that don't want to work at home uh... maybe they're more productive at work i i don't know exactly what it is but you know where where that's going to change the workplace is if companies go to have more work at home there are two things that are going to happen number one you've got to have the right employee working at home because you still have to have the same level of productivity. So I think the hiring credentials are going to change. And then the other big thing is supervision. Uh, It's way, way different supervising somebody who's working at home. We we have this little phenomenon here is that, you know, we can't supervise unless we see them. Um, And it really is going to force people to go much more towards the specific objectives, the productivity, and the outputs, the actual outputs. And I find people are having trouble with that in, in general.
2: Well, it comes down to this idea of streamlining what your actual ask is for your employee every single day and kind of narrowing down on the focus for them as an employee and for the employer, Barbara. There's there's that question that's part of the equation. And then you also brought up the social isolation feelings that people have, which is why that blended day might be part of the equation. Perhaps it's four days at home, one day in the office so that you could get that social side plus a face-to-face meeting with your boss. Uh, either way, you're going to have reduced real estate out there. So what's the impact going to be on offices and, and companies that say, wow, maybe I don't need this eighty, ninety thousand 90,000 square foot space. Maybe I need a lot less than that.
7: You know, that's absolutely true. Um, and, you know, things like they're, they're basically the office workspace costs, other operational things. I know silly as it sounds, most offices provide free coffee that costs a lot more than you think but you know what i'm worried about lauren is that if you have the workers at home and you're transferring everything there you're really transferring the operational cost to your employees it's their house it's their insurance it's their coffee um you know we've had some people go out and buy a desk so that they could be comfortable at home well should that be the responsibility of the employer so really, it could be transferring costs to the employee, which may be not as fair as what, what might think.
0: Well, and of course, then you're going to have the stress on the uh, residential uh, utilities, uh, internet in particular. Uh, we're having struggles with that from time to time, Lorraine more so than myself, but it is an issue in terms of staying connected in the heart of the work day. But the whole idea of of eliminating face-to-face meetings there are going to be businesses barb that are salivating at the idea of other businesses taking a step away and taking a step back from those because we all know that the best business deals and the best relationships involve some physical interaction and face-to-face meeting. And and the businesses that cut back on those things at, at economically difficult times are the ones typically that miss out. So this is going to be good news uh, for some folks who are looking at this as an opportunity to get one leg up on their competition.
7: That's true. And there's lots of industry sectors, social services, family services, where you can't do your job without being face-to-face. I mean, even teachers and, and educators uh, I mean, there's lots of online training going on now, but there are lots of industry sectors where you have to have face-to-face. There's just no two ways ways around it, you know, for sure. Um, but I, I was going to also mention training. Um, we're already doing this, too. It's Everyone's being shocked into the COVID, um, and so you're having Zoom meetings. People are comfortable with that. So now I'm almost blasted every single day with training opportunities coming through online, podcasts, you name it. Um, that's been around for a while too, but I think it's all of a sudden a lot more acceptable and I think that training is going to go online as
1: well. Barbara Bose with Bose Legacy Group joining us live on 680 CJOB. Barbara, thank you so much for the insight as always.
7: Yeah, and thanks for um, the little conversation. I don't get to talk to that many people <laughs> working at home. <laughs>
1: Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, I Need a Dollar is the song and I wanted to spend a dollar or two at one of my favorite places yesterday. One of the stores that reopened is Golf Town. I mentioned yesterday that I needed a new glove. And uh, a couple of people said, well, they texted us saying, why don't you just get the same glove that you used last year? Well, the problem is the same glove I used last year and the year before uh, is no longer stocked. I used to get it at Sport Check. And there was another glove that I picked up at the Golf Expo from an Alberta company called Copper Tech. They have an amazing glove, but they don't sell that in store. And the Golf Expo, of course, was canceled this year. So I needed to go find a new glove, but I wasn't sure how it was going to work. So when I you get to Golf Town, it was just... It was such a weird experience uh, going in to there, because it was like a haven for me. I just would sometimes wander in just because I was bored and wanted to see if they had any new neat toys. You walk in, you're greeted by a clerk who's got a spray bottle of sanitizer right there, so he sanitizes your hands. And then I said, so what's the, what's the procedure now? Like, Can I even touch anything? And they said, if you want to try a putter, you got to put on, they had a, a box of gloves for you to wear. They asked minimal touching for everything else. There were no change rooms. They'd shut down their simulator. And they I was not able to try on a glove. Uh, not that I expected to, but yeah. So I didn't end up buying a glove because if I can't try one on, then I'm not going to pick one up. But it was weird. And it was also weird was the, the game of pinball that all the customers were playing as we tried to dodge each other, Greg. I felt like I think I've made the reference to it feels like I'm playing in a game of Frogger when I go for a walk. Sometimes because I'm having to leapfrog my way through the people. Well, that's how it, I felt like I was on a football field yesterday, like pinball Clemens doing spin <laughs> trying to get around the store.
0: Well, it's interesting because you have those cues now, right, where you're watching for uh, someone coming down an aisle. And if you're going to merge into a larger aisle, I was at Safeway yesterday. And just the whole thing of stopping when people have stopped to select their item in the aisle. and sometimes at you go it's okay for you to go past and then you look over your shoulder you do the shoulder check nah there's nobody behind me I have no problem waiting and just that little dance that you're doing a lot of time without speaking because I think people are afraid to speak to one another in public right now that whole idea of moistly speaking has really (laughs) penetrated our minds and and we don't want to talk to anybody if we can at all avoid it in fact i find myself holding my breath loren when i pass people in the
2: aisle it's good though because now maybe there's just more thought going into Howard, we all know a spitter. You know what I mean, like somebody who, when they close talk, they just can't control the spit in their mouth. That maybe giving people pause for thought, and uh, maybe more people will just start chewing gum or breath mints with all this. You know, we'll keep our distance. But it might be just a nicer, more hygienic world.
1: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on the start, and thank you for saying hello, Tucker. He's now looking at the door like, "Can I go now?" It's okay. He can open the door, die, and take Tucker with you. I'll come say more hello after. Uh, highlight of my day every day: getting to see Tucker, at least the in person highlight. The highlight: getting to ch- the overall highlight: getting to chat with Greg, Loren, Jeff Forte, and of course you listening to six eighty CJOB. And Loren, before we do anything else, did you get a yurt? I did
2: not oh. get a yurt. And here's what, you know, and this is just because I was doing this during the show, which I shouldn't have. I was largely doing it for news gathering purposes, because I was curious to see if I was going to get kicked off like Monday. Monday, I got in the queue at 7.02, at 9.05, had moved into the front spot, waiting for it to flip me to the reservation system. And at that exact moment, it kicked me out. So two hours of waiting yielded me nothing Monday. What I was really interested in today was the yurts. And if you just Google the amount of yurts, there's about seven or eight campgrounds across this province that have about two or three yurts maybe as many as five depending on the location And, and they're all incredible lots of them are lakeside and for us we don't have a camper so I was trying to see if I could get us into the yurt system but here's how it works and this doesn't make any sense to me you have to pick the campground location Then pick the dates. Then it, honest to God, takes at least three minutes of that whirling circle just spinning in front of you for it to come back and say, no, not available for that date. So then Uh. you have to pick another date and then another date. So on and so forth. Then I switched campgrounds. I tried one a little farther away. That didn't work. I tried one in dopamine. I couldn't find any dates. And What I can't figure out, especially with something as specific and small as the yurt, why it couldn't just say, here is what's left Mm -hmm. for yurts here's the dates here's the campgrounds if those don't work for you don't waste your time or there's none left it got to the point that I was like are there any actual yurts left at any of the campgrounds far and wide or am I wasting my time and so they're just you know we hear this year after year and I get it it works fine for some people not for others it was a first for me maybe I need some tips or like someone sitting beside my me coaching me on how to properly book a freaking yurt but it was it was ridiculous, <laughs> and I gave up quite frankly because it, I am working, and I didn't want to be too overconsumed by it. But it was frustrating, very, very frustrating. Brett,
1: and we got a text message from somebody about t- tw- twenty minutes ago, twenty-two minutes ago, simply saying, "Provincial Parks booking system is junk." So, yeah, and Greg, you're nodding in agreement. Uh, this, th- th- I, I'm not a camper, so I have not ever had to attempt to use this system, but it sounds like it's uh, archaic at best
0: yeah cumbersome i think is the word you used in our uh, text conversation lorend and i would i would agree with you ontario we went to rushing river i think it was about five years ago jackie finally decided she would al- allow me to uh, introduce her to the world of of camping in our our trailer and uh, we enjoyed it fine it's not jackie's thing but here's here's the deal in ontario uh, they it's a rolling calendar. So you can book about 90 days in advance, but no more than 90 days. And so uh, that I think has some advantages to it because who in the heck can plan their stuff in September? I don't know what I'm doing next week, let alone what I'm doing four months from now. And yes, there are a lot of people are super organized and know when their holidays are and they want to be able to get those campsites around their holidays. But I think it's just It's taken away the spontaneity of what camping was when I was growing up. I I know that my parents never booked ahead when we were doing a cross-country trip from, from Winnipeg or Brandon to Vancouver Island. You went and you knew you would get a campsite. And the odd time, I can remember one time being in Banff and not being able to get into the campsite. And we had to get a very expensive hotel, but for years that's the way we traveled camping and there was never any issues. And I I think that part of it sort of been stolen where you've got to plan your entire life. We have so much planning as it is and and people who like to camp, I think to a great extent are a little bit more free spirited in nature. And this idea of having to plan everything 16 years in advance is a little bit frustrating.
1: Yeah, Go ahead, Laura. Oh,
2: sorry, I just I see a text now from a listener saying that yurts actually went online over a month ago, so you had to book those a month ago. And I wasn't aware oh, that there had been there. I was aware there had been an earlier date, but then I went to the website this morning and it said open today, May six. You know these following campgrounds, and then at nowhere in the process does it tell you that those are already gone. So that's part of my frustration. Like I said, I was mostly doing it for the news gathering purposes, just to see how it went. You know, uh, but but fundamentally, at the end of the day. I had no, no point in any of these attempts to book any of them saying, Hey, uh, by the way, the yurts are gone. They've been gone for a month. Like that, you know, that could be a little disclaimer or an asterisk on the website uh, Brett.
1: Yeah we had another text message here saying at 9.38 a.m. so three minutes ago saying the parks reservation site has crashed Uh, Jeff says it's crap terrible for booking campsites get on them to implement a new system we always talk about it and nothing gets done really. Another person saying use the Manitoba parks booking site this morning it took just over two hours to book May long weekend and August long weekend so it sounds like a super frustrating experience and Greg yeah you talk. About being super organized, I have—I do have one friend who is like that. He and his family—they map out their—they have their whole summer mapped out months ahead of time on a spreadsheet. And I guess I, I should ask him if you know how his experience has been with camping, because no doubt he's had to get in on it the last uh, couple of days. Just the idea of having to plan it out that far in advance. It uh, kind of makes me panic, just get, makes me nervous thinking about it because I haven't even, it, it just occurred to me as we're having this conversation, I have not booked a single day of summer vacation yet, I guess probably because of the pandemic, the last thing on my mind is vacation, uh, but even just planning a, a random weekend, you're right, Greg, if I if I were to go camping, I, and I ha- it's been years since I've gone camping, but it would likely come up where someone said, hey, you want to go camping this weekend? And then I might think, yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Oh, wait, we didn't book it three months ago? Well, I guess we're out. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: d- now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't necessarily miss having to book it up to uh, Grand Beach on the Wednesday or Thursday before the long weekend and sleep in the car overnight in order to get a campground on May long weekend. That was fun on its own, but it was a little bit of of a pain in the neck. So some sort of compromise between sleeping in your car for two days and having to plan your life uh, this far in advance would be appreciated. I don't know if they set aside a certain amount of camp spots for walk-up or drive-up business, Or not, it's gotten to the point where I don't even think about doing it because it's just so cumbersome and just not user friendly in any way, shape, or form.
1: You know, somebody who says, hey, yes, I'm a spreadsheet camper planner too. I have 41 days booked this summer. So I'm asking this listener, how long did it take to book all of that stuff? And then another uh, separate text message says, hey, when you talk about planning your holidays, try being a nurse. They have to book in March for the whole year. It goes by seniority. So some staff may not get summer holidays at all. I remember working in an environment like that, where it was based on seniority. And there were times where I did not get holidays in the summer. I just had to take, the the scraps because I was at the bottom of the of the heap, so to speak. So that can also be kind of a pain. So let us know what your experience is. 204-780-6868 with the campsites. Uh, another person saying got on at 7.10, had to wait for approximately an hour, was able to get dates we wanted, but it was for June and September during the week. And another person saying got to the top twice and kicked out both times.
2: Oh. Denied. That is, you know, you're making it it's making it hard for me. You know, I, I barely want to get outdoors to begin with. And now... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really love it. And I feel like if I go looking, I'll find something out there for us. And, and you know, the better part of my life is I have a super organized mother-in-law. Yeah. So somewhere I feel like she's got a campsite just waiting.
1: Is, there, is this is, is like a, a situation where you could just park the, the car outside the campground and like sort of reverse scalp? Like, hey, you got a campsite <laughs> uh, you want to sell me?
2: <laughs> or do that thing like when you go to a hockey game and you want to sit in the lower seats. And so you sit in those seats just hoping nobody's coming. I could just pull into a site, set. Up and be like, oh, this is yours. I swear, my ticket number says. <laughs> I
0: feel like did it that says, in 30, once. says 36.
2: I'm sure of it.
0: What did you do, Greg? Yep. Yeah, it did that in California one night. Uh, my brother and I were looking for a place to stay, and everything was closed. Everything was full, and uh, we drove in through the exit, and we found an empty campsite. We pitched our tent and slept gloriously. Nobody uh, knocked on the tent door or uh, kicked us out. Uh, it was uh, one of our <laughs> great achievements on that trip.
1: <laughs> and did you? Cost, did it cost you anything?
0: I won't say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Attaboy, GMAC. You rebel. Neither
2: confirm nor deny that a payment mm-hmm. was made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I'd have to check my uh, bank uh, statements from <laughs> 2001. <laughs>